Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to be focusing today on Father's Day. We're going to be looking at kind of an unusual section, one that you probably do not look at too often, which is in the book of Ezekiel. We'll get there in a second. Uh, Father's Day is one of the more enjoyable things to preach on. Um, There's just a little bit of pressure as a pastor because I'm a father, and now anything I say, people are kind of judging. So I'll be careful about that. But we're talking about what what does it take to be a good dad? And uh, some of the conclusions you come to is you have to be a good guy first. And so what we're going to be doing is looking in Scripture to say what is the expectation that God has for guys, and only then can you be a good dad. You can't really be a dirtbag and still be a good dad. That's impossible. So you have to have a, a right relationship with God. You have to understand that before you can be a good dad. Um, you ever notice that men and women uh, talk differently? We just, and teens talk differently, so one of the skits that they did, we had a talent show on the mission trip, we'll show you a video, not of the talent show, talent might be in quotes. Uh, so it was a talent show, but one of the things that the, the, some of the leaders did is they tried to understand slang from teens because they talk so differently. They used words like shook, I don't use that word, and shade, is that something you guys use? And other words I can't remember. So I'm not cool enough to use these words so that the, the leaders had to try and figure out what these words actually mean. The same thing true is, is with men and women. So I'm going to just give you some tests and then I'll, I'll help you explain what this means. So if, if a guy says to you it would take too long to explain, what does that mean? That means we have no idea how it actually works. That's just, okay, if a guy says, uh, honey, take a break, you're working too hard, what does that mean? It means, can you shut off the vacuum cleaner because I cannot hear the game? That's what that means. Uh, what if a guy says it's a guy thing? It, that means there's no rational explanation whatsoever for the behavior that we're involved in. Uh, yes, dear, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing, actually. It means nothing. Uh, what happens if a guy says, oh, don't worry about it. I just cut myself. It's no big deal. Their arm may or may not be attached at that point. Uh, let's see, I can't find it, means it's not literally in my hand, that's what that means. Uh, and it's really embarrassing when it actually is in your hand, have you ever had that? I just walked around, we played the tournament yesterday, the softball tournament, I walked around for 40 seconds looking for my glove, which was tucked under my arm. So we'll just, uh, just a couple more so you understand this. What happens if a guy says, it's not what I mean? That means if I said something, that could be taken two possible ways. Please take it in the best possible way. That's what that means. And our final one, honey, what color is this? How many colors do guys actually know? There's only 10 colors in the guy world. There's you know, the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, green, blue. We don't say indigo and violet. Those are the same colors. We just call them purple. That doesn't count as two different colors. So red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple. So what do we have? Six. We have black. We have white. We have brown and gray. Those are the only colors. Like if you say peach, that's a fruit, and so is pumpkin. You're not allowed to ask these things, and I have no idea what color taupe is. But why do I bring all this up? Because men and women are a little bit different, and and you have to understand the psychology of where guys are coming from to understand what it takes to be a good guy. So the section we're looking at is in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 22 and the the history is here. Um, Remember Pastor Brookles talked about minor prophets a couple weeks ago in Joel. So Joel's a minor prophet, which means he wrote a very short book. And as they get longer, we run into the major prophets. That's what they call them. And there's three major prophets. Jeremiah. Anyone know the other ones? Ezekiel, because it's long. And then the most famous of all the prophets, 
Isaiah. So Isaiah, these are the longer books. These are the major prophets. And what happened is God comes to Ezekiel and he says, I want you to speak to the people because of their sin. And this is what he said. He gets all the way done with it. And he said, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me. This is God talking in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. So the, the relationship they had in the Old Testament is a little different than our relationship that we have with God. So in the Old Testament, they had this agreement. If you follow God and his laws, you will be blessed. If you don't, there's destruction that's going to come. Does that make sense? We do not have that same relationship. Uh, God does not say he's going to destroy us if we make any sins as far as physically on earth. But as a nation, God says, if you don't honor me, you don't follow me, destruction is going to come. And so he says, he he says, I looked for someone among them who would build up this wall, who could stand in the gap to take responsibility for this nation, but here's the problem. He says, I found not one. So in that whole nation, as he looked at the people of Israel, he said, I could not find a single good man who would take responsibility for this nation. And so what we're going to look at is three attributes, I think, that makes someone a good man according to the Bible, and in turn makes them a good dad. We're going to cover them in um, this order. Lead is the first one. The, the people there, the, the, can you be a leader if you can't lead yourself? I don't think so. And the things that, the biggest thing is from a biblical perspective, when we talk about men, male leaders, the biggest thing is not just being able to handle your schedule and be organized and things like that. The biggest thing from a biblical perspective is leading your own heart and your own desires. And if you allow your own desires to lead things, where does that lead things to go? Like think of King David. He allowed his desires outside of God's world to lead him, and what does he do? He has an affair with Bathsheba. So it, the question is, can, as a guy, you lead your own heart, which means setting aside some things. Here's what, what the problem was in the people of Israel. He says, if you have treated the father... And mother with contempt, this is what's happening in Jerusalem. In you, in the city of Jerusalem, they have oppressed the foreigners, they've mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You've despised uh, my things and desecrated my Sabbath. In you are slanderers who are bent on shedding blood. In you are those who eat at the mountain shrines. That means you have um, idolatrous relationships. You commit lewd acts. In you are those who dishonor their father's bed. In you are those who violate women. So as he looks for a leader in this, um, as he looks for a leader in this city, the biggest thing is not their ability to lead. Their biggest deal was someone who could lean their own heart and say, I'm not going to pursue the sinful desires that are coming up in my heart. Instead, I'm going to say no to those. How does that actually play out in today's world? If you want to be a good dad, you have to set aside your immediate desires which could be for, I mean, we always make jokes about it, um, that women make small purchases over time, like forever, just in general. And guys just won't, we're like, uh, I say like, we're like camels. We don't do anything, we don't buy anything. We live on like macaroni and cheese for like a year and then we buy a bass boat. Or you go to Costco, Costco's strictly built for men. At the, because you come home, and I've told you that, you come home with like a gun safe, I don't have any guns. I've got a gun safe now. And, you know, it's, it's these kind of things. You go there and you, you come home with a 70-inch TV. Is this, is this happened in anyone's household where it's not even been discussed and then suddenly you're just like, hey, what do you got there? Oh, nothing. Just pick something up at the store. I think that's one of the things. If you are struggling in your money, are you buying things that suit your own desires rather than thinking about the desires of the whole family? 
And sometimes this is pursuing sexual desires. Sometimes this is pursuing control things. So you just try and control your kids rather than lead your kids. All of these things lead out with um, not only leading your own heart, but then leading your family. God says, fathers, husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body in which he is the Savior. This is kind of a, a contemptuous verse for many people, but what God is saying is, husbands, you have to take responsibility for your family. Before your own needs, you have to look at your family and decide what your family needs. Is that an easy job? I don't think so. So we get to the second part, which is a little bit harder. I think all of us know we're supposed to lead these families, lead at work, lead at church, lead our own heart. The second one is to lean, and I think this was way harder. How many of you as guys like to ask for help? Like how many of you like to admit you don't know how to fix your dishwasher? How many of you like to call somebody up and say, hey, can you help me move this chair? How many guys like to do this? Is there a single hand that would go up? How many of you like to admit you don't know how to do something like your own taxes or to install something? How many, anybody? We got a couple that are willing to do that. Depends on the thing, right? I mean, if you say, how do you paint, paint colors? I'm happy to ask for help. You know, that's a cool, but any like super manly thing, you don't really want to ask for help most of the time. And I mean, there's a reason for that. I mean, we have like GPSs, which and we always make jokes about guys not asking for directions. But what has GPSs actually helped things? I think it stands for like guy pride saver. I think that's what GPS does. Every man buys a GPS because it's technology, but it's mostly so we don't have to talk to a human being and roll down our window and say, hey, how do I find this? I mean, this is kind of the desire. And, uh, Another guy has one kid, and he always calls it single child syndrome because he refuses to ask for help from anybody. And this is kind of how it goes. So I'll give you a story. My wife understands this about me, that, uh, and she tricks me into doing things. She doesn't know this, but she tricks me into doing things by mostly, like, if something's wrong in the house, she's, she threatens to call a professional. And that's what it is. It's a threat. That's what happens. So she'll be like, man, we should, we should call a painter to paint the downstairs, and what do I do? I fall for it every time. I'm like, we're not calling a painter. So the next day, I go and I buy all the equipment because I'm going to paint my house. You know, if she sees, like, there's a leak in the faucet, what does she say? Like, why don't we call a plumber? I'm like, there's not a plumber that's going to enter into my house. This is not happening. So then I go and try and fix it. The car, you know, the upstairs, the fans, you know, our fans got to wobble to it. And she's like, we should probably, no, all right, I'll fix it. Right? I just cannot handle that. And she's really nice about it. Because she understands this about me, not only because she tricks me, but she knows I have to try things. And, and, and I can tell you the best part about my wife. She allows me to try things and to fail. So things do not always turn out right. Some of you are really particular, and you're really good at the things you attempt to do. I'm about average. You know, like some things turn out great, and some things not so great. So let me give you an example. Have you ever installed a doorknob? Is this difficult? There's literally only three parts to a doorknob. Do you guys know this? There's like, there's four parts, the plate. So there's four parts to a doorknob. This is not difficult. So we're looking at our doorknobs and we say, hey, we should get some new levers because ours are from like, um, our house is built like 12 years ago and they're like the brass. Somehow it says like 20 years ago and, I, and everything's turning nickel, satin or whatever the color is and we, we replace these. So I'm doing pretty well on most of them, right? So you, you, you take one out, you put one in, right? This is, how long does this take? Like four minutes a door, right? I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I've got my impact driver because I could do it by hand, but why in the world would you ever do anything by hand? I mean, that would be useless. So I take them all off. I'm switched them all out. We get to our, our bathroom one. I had to order one because I was one short. She didn't even rub that in. 
So I ordered an extra one for our bathroom. And I put it in. It looks good. looks really good. And she's in there. She said, kind of sticks. I'm like, that's impossible. Let me check. does not stick. So then the next time she says, hey, this is sticking. It's not working. She is in the restroom. And if you ever, most of you have probably not been to our, wait, is the word ensuite? Our ensuite, I like to say, it's, we have like a water closet, you know, so it's like this big with a toilet in it. So she's in there, and we're getting ready to go on our trip. This just happened Friday. And she's like, I, this is not working. And I, of course, you know, put the best construction on it. I said, that's user error. Let me come and fix it. So I go to open it, and it does not work. So then naturally, what do you, what do, you do in that situation? I take the key pin thing, so I'm like, oh, it must be jammed. So I try and open it by pushing the button thing. That doesn't work. And so I slide a screwdriver underneath the door, because um, only I'm allowed to use the power tools. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. So I slide a screw, screwdriver under the door, and I'm like, okay, there's two screws. You just take these screws out. They take forever. Have you ever taken those out of a doorknob? So she takes those out. We take both handles off, like handle one, handle two. And the, what's that thing called, the clicker? I think that's the official title for it. I think it says that. In the, Please install clicker or catch or whatever. And it's still not move, and I put the thing in, I've got a wrench, and it, it is not moving. Like, the clicker is not going in. And so what, what would you do next? Just think, in this situation, your wife is trapped in a closet. What, what do you do? I get another tool, and I slide it under. I said, you have to knock the pins out to try and take the whole door off. That's our next, that's our ne this is like 10 at night. She goes, okay, so she's like, ding, 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 you know, and I'm, um, I'm, I felt like a county worker. I'm just sitting on the outside going, looking good, looking good. And so she gets the pins out all the way, and I go to take the door off, you know, ready? I'm going to feel like Samson, right? You know, even though I have hollow core doors and they weigh like three pounds. But I'm like, here we go. It's not moving. All right. What's the next step then when your wife is trapped and, you, and the door doesn't come off? There's few, uh, there's few tools in the world that do not need to be plugged in. And one of those is run on pure testosterone. Do you know what tool that is? You could just put the thing right into your man, like just right here, and it'll run. It's, it's a Sawzall, if you have one of these, which is like one of these awesome tools with the blades going on. So my next step was to stick that into the hole and saw off the clicker thing. You know, like sparks are going everywhere, like hot molten, like metal pieces are falling. I'm like, just stay away from the metal. It's completely obliterated. We pull it out, and I open the door, and I'm a hero. So why do I bring this all up? Obviously, the lock was faulty. It had nothing to do with my installation process. But I bring this up because when I got done, what could my wife have said? I mean, I literally, something is wrong with the three-part. She could have brought this up forever, and she never brought it up once. Now, she probably is waiting for the perfect moment. But she didn't bring it up once. She didn't complain. She said, thanks for letting me out. And when we talk about there, there's a relationship between a guy trying to fix things and do things, and there's a relationship connected with an atmosphere where they can try things and be a leader. And what God calls us to do as men is a couple things. One is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We lean completely on God but to do what God has called us to do, to be responsible for our whole family and to take care of them and put it on my shoulders, the buck stops at my shoulders, it's my fault if things aren't working, you need help. And you got to ask for help sometimes and be in an environment where you can try that. So let me ask you a second thing. Um, have you ever run out of gasoline in your car? 
Is there any reason why you'd ever run out of gas in your car in the United States of America? No, there is not. There is a gas station like literally every two miles, and even when it says you're empty, you still have like 30 plus miles, but every guy has to figure out how far you can actually go with that. And, and so there's no reason, and because most of our cars do not have any kind of gauge that indicates how much fuel we have left, right? Right, it's, it's just like we have to look at it and figure out. So there's no reason to run out of gas, but every single guy here has run out of gasoline, probably, unless you're an engineer. Then it's probably never gone below half. But this, so most of us have, have run out of gasoline. And this is kind of embarrassing because you feel kind of dumb. But who would you ask right now, if you ran out of gas, who would you call up to say, hey, can you give me a lift that ran out of gas? You'd only call your good friend. You only would call your good friend. Because they're not going to bring it up again. They're not going to embarrass you. They're not going to laugh at you. They're not going to do a selfie with your empty gas gauge, with their can. You know, they're not going to do these things because they know they've made mistakes. And that's the person you can admit, you know, I, I've got a problem and I need help. For most of us, as guys and as human beings, our biggest problem is not misinstalling a lock. Our biggest problem is not running out of gasoline. There's other things that are way bigger issue that every single person here struggles with. And my thought is we need help with addictions. Um, and there's people in this congregation and other congregations that struggle with pornography. There's people that struggle with drugs. There's people that struggle with alcohol. There's people that struggle with overspending. These are bigger deals. There's people that struggle with trying to be the leader that God has called them to be. And I think the reason they don't ask for help is not just because we're guys and we don't act like to ask for help. It's because we don't have good friends. We don't have someone who is willing to say, you know, I understand your mistakes and your flaws and I want to help you move forward. So there's two parts, and that's why I bring this up. God has called us not only to lead our families, which is a big responsibility, but you're probably the person they can lean on in their life. Every single one of us has someone that can lean on, and I'm trying to say be a good friend to help someone not only lean on Christ, but then lean on you. Last thing we want to look at, I'm not sure why that's completely blank. Love. First uh, Corinthians 13, you're very familiar with it, as it talks about love, what love is, and it talks about action and all these cool things, but it basically says if you can do all these amazing things, and a lot of talented dads here doing stuff, but if you don't do it with love, it's pretty useless. And so to be a good dad, from the Bible's perspective, there's a couple things. Lead yourself, your heart. Lead your family. Lead your church. It says uh, lean on God completely. Um, find a good set of friends that when you do need help, you're, you can put your pride aside and say, hey, I need some help learning how to have a devotion with my family. I need help learning how to do simple things. I need help how to be a good husband. And sometimes your marriage is rocky. Put your pride away and find a good friend and say, I need help. And the third thing, the final thing is, to do all these things with love. And why do I bring this up, of course? Ezekiel, he said, all I want is one good guy. To the whole nation, he says, I just need one. And he couldn't find it. And I think that's just a picture of the good guy who did stand in that gap. He literally says in Ezekiel, I need one to stand in the gap so that I do not destroy this nation. And he couldn't find it. And God is ready to destroy this nation of people, and there's one good guy who can stand that. Who is it? It's not me. You know, it's not any of us. It's our Christ, who lived perfectly leading, who leaned completely on his heavenly Father, even when it seemed difficult. Remember, the Garden of Gethsemane says, not my will, but your will be done. And he loved so completely 
that he was willing to let people uh, humiliate him and humble him and beat him for what? For you. So just imagine. Imagine what it would be like if we were really the guys that God called us to be. Guys that completely leaned on Christ for everything, and that's where we found our value, not how good we were at our job and all these other things, but we completely leaned on Christ, and we led our families, and we loved like Christ loved. Just imagine what our congregation would be like and imagine what our families are. God has called us to do that, and he's given you the power through the Holy Spirit to do that very thing. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's so many things we struggle with, and for many men, uh, myself included, it's pride. There's pride that says we want to do all things with our own hands. So with our salvation, help us completely lean on you. For all things, help us lean on you. And help us surround ourselves with friends and spouses that help us do the things you've called us to do. Help us put our pride away so that we're willing to ask for help and admit, I, I just don't know what I'm doing here, so that together we can be a community of people that leans on you and loves like you and leads like you. We ask this in your name. Amen.